0: Converge coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Bruno Peschitz. He helps business leaders innovate profitability. He is the rare innovator who can't, who can claim that he has worked on a regulation defying freight trade, an award-winning board game in addition to his corporate experience with brands like DNV, DNB, and Kongsberg. Bruno runs a community of entrepreneurs of several thousand members. He is currently undertaking a doctorate in organizational change with a specific focus on the issues with innovation in large enterprises. Bruno has co-authored the Augmented Strategy book and Particular Guide to Decision-Making Based on Data and Human Intuition. Bruno, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Sean, it's a
1: pleasure being here and uh, thank you for a great introduction. Uh, really looking forward to our uh,
0: conversation. I am too. Um, I know we went through, I think we uh, connected on Podmatch and there's been, I mean, people in the green room, like we were talking about this where like, I, I pronounced your last name correctly. Um, that's that's a rarity sometimes, but we were just, um, just in the sense of like personal brand in the sense of like life happens, like we have to reschedule on things. And I mean, personal brand matters in the sense that, um, you, I mean, you're, talking about large organizations, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of personalities, there's a lot of different um, viewpoints, and there's a lot of different things that are kind of going on. But I think the one control group that we can, we can harness is our personal brand. So you've kind of talked about it on your website, you've kind of talked about in the media and that kind of stuff, but just kind of going out, the first thing is, you know, why go out on your own, your personal brand? Because you don't have a brand name, you're just Bruno Pesciens. So Mm -hmm. what was the reason for that as well as how did that help you in the sense with, um, you know, what you're studying and with the augmented strategy? Yeah,
1: yeah. So it is, uh, I'll try to keep the answer brief, uh, but let's say it is a part experimentation, part uh, life happening among other things. So when I set out, uh, what now almost a decade ago, I was an engineer working in defense companies, working on innovative projects. And after some time, I decided, you know, I want to do this on a global scale. So I set out and I, first what I started to do is work with different companies. And then I realized, you know, for me, the easiest as an engineer was, I just wanted to say, give me Bruno, call me Bruno, get Bruno to help us out. And that to me made a lot of sense because I didn't want to, to build, let's say, a boutique consultancy. I didn't want to build a management consulting company. I didn't want to build something like that. I wanted to have ultimate freedom as independent expert. And at that moment, you know, now five, six years ago, it made sense to me to just, just go with Bruno Persets said, this is who you are. This is literally uh, what, what you're buying. You're buying specific expert with specific uh, worldview, specific way of work, etc. And I did understand back then that that could both be a, a boon and a downside. So it's kind of, since I'm selling myself, I am the brand as a person. It doesn't really work if I suddenly start bringing, you know, hundred other people like, Hey, you made a deal with me, but here is 10 junior consultants to do the work instead. Luckily for me, that's also not the model I wanted to build. So for me, big, big thing of being independent or solo entrepreneur, freelancer, etc., is the freedom to choose work. I know it's a privilege, but for me, I love that. I only work with clients that are serious about innovating, about growing. Because that, to me, is challenging. There's a whole, let's say, business in selling problems to people. Like, th- there's a whole industry doing that. I'm not interested in that. Like, I want to work with people like Sean and others that are into it and that are serious about doing something
0: different. Because I have only one life. <laughs> I mean, you hit know, on something that I've kind of, has come up to me, um, I think in the last few weeks, and last month, is you're not, everybody tries to go for... Selling a solution, um, but they're not solving a problem. They're just saying, "Hey, here's a tool. This is how it does it. This is probably a solution that it would solve, but it's not necessarily the actual problem that it's actually solving." Like you're going into organizational behavior and change and different things like that, and usually that's what it kind of stems down to. Everybody like goes straight to execution, goes straight to like, "Here's the tool that's probably going to fix it. Here's the automation." But that doesn't address the problem. The, the problem or the issues that arise are around people and how they operate in different things as well as how to build strategic growth. Like I just saw a LinkedIn post yesterday where I just saw like the meeting calendar was like all filled up and the person said, um, and it was Daryl Alfonso, he's one of my mentors, but he literally said, he was like, this doesn't build growth. Like you are in meetings all the time. You're you're trying to walk and tackle you know, reduce the fires that are rising, issues that are kind of going on. So I kind of picked this on your website and different things, but I wanted to ask this next question. I think it's going to dive a little bit deeper on your unique ability is, what are the two most potent levers for strategic growth? mm mm mm.
1: So maybe to clarify first, well, what do I mean by strategic growth? Because strategy and growth is one of those words. You ask 10 people, get 20 different twenty different views. Uh, so to, to me, strategic growth is something that is aligned with business values and business ambition. Because today it is possible to go out and buy growth in a way. You can uh, buy followers, you can buy customer base. That doesn't mean that you will have profitability or that you will have sustainable business whatsoever. You can go out, you can get funding. Uh, by the way, even today with all the disruptions, it has never been easier to reach huge amount of capital, which I think is actually a downside because lack of capital drives uh, innovative spirit. But that, that is, that's another, another set, set of things. So strategic growth to me is a combination of very aligned, specific growth combined with organic growth. That means something that comes from the business activity. So you do not go and do mergers and acquisitions. You do not go and acquire another similar company. You do not go and acquire a failing company that has a customer base, but rather through your own activities and business practices, you grow your customer base, your profit margins, and ultimately your profitability. And when it comes to organic growth, we really have two main levers. So one is branding that you already spoke a lot about, and I'm sure your audience knows a lot about, and the other is innovation. And innovation, again, is that thing that everybody has a different view on it. I'm going to share mine, not to say, hey, this is the right worldview, but rather that you understand where I'm coming from. So to, to me, innovation is something new that creates value. Doesn't have to be new to the history of mankind. It has to be new for the innovator, the company, you and your customer. If it's new to the both of you, it's innovative. And the other part, value creation, it has to add value to the customer, but also, and I can't believe I have to be saying this today, to yourself, because there are so many companies, even small companies, SMEs, et cetera, that go and they jump on these innovative ideas that bankrupt them, you know, they have customers that tell them, I want to, I want to, I want to, and they, they make those things, but they cannot profit on those things. They cannot build the business on those things. And they go out of business. It's easy if you're a large company because you basically just shut down a division. But if you're an SME and this is 50% of your product portfolio, you're in big, big trouble. So the value must be bidirectional. Those two levers are something that every company can control because it is completely within your hands. What decisions you do about your brand, about your brand strategy, that's nobody else's fault. That's nobody else's job. It's your own. And what ideas you choose to develop and take to the market, again, your own decisions. It, it's not somebody else. You cannot say, oh, it was due to the market, or oh, it was due to competition, or oh, it was due to the uh, neighbor across the street that uh, didn't buy the right apples or whatever. And that is something that people sometimes don't like hearing, that success is in your own hands. And that doesn't uh, that doesn't change if you're an SME, solopreneur, a startup, or a large company. Success is in your own hands. And it's just okay. going to pause here for a moment ju- just to see how this is landing with you so far, because I know you have experience
0: so, as well. Lend me. I mean, it's landing, and I've even seen like tech hubs where the, the mindset is is to get to the com- get the company to a certain amount of customers and a certain amount of revenue. And it might not be sustainable revenue. There might be a high churn rate there might be um, a lot of there's no room for expansion on things but they just want to build a company to a certain degree so they can just sell it off um, or they sell it to a bigger company um, because they're they're strapped they're strapped with different things and it comes down to the the leadership honestly like that's I mean everybody's like I mean that's what you're seeing in tech companies that's where you're seeing in other things is that it's a leadership that kind of comes down to of like how, how do we do headcount capacity why do we just go to headcount capacity rather than understanding synchronous or asynchronous events of actions. How do we build profitability out of being scrappy and being innovative and finding easier ways and better ways to do things, not just easier ways, but better ways to do things because then that offloads like hiring just an extra person that it might not fit the the total scheme of like how the systems are being built. My next thing kind of, you you got to spark an interest in this too is, especially for enterprise because I think we're, I think enterprise companies are hurting um, because they're trying to figure out like, what's the, the little, like the little impacts we can make for um, sizable, like decent size margins. And that could be like one or 2% <laughs> um, on different things. But what what's your view on diminishing returns? Like what is the impact of like, when you're building value bi-directionally, is there like things to be cautionary about what's diminishing returns? Like. Work, what is absolutely like, like too much action or too little action? Like, what's, what's the involvement in that? Absolutely. Uh, and
1: this is relative. So, it is relative to the size of the organization, uh, to their usual PL and their ambition. So, like you said, there might be a company whose sole founder's strategy is I want to pump and dump. I know this sounds horrible, but what, what they described to me almost sounded like that. So how, how to judge, uh, to give you an example, so I was uh, working once with a huge company and they had a bunch of uh, internal ventures, internal startups, etc. And one of them worked for two years developing a business idea and after two years they reached 40 million uh, euros in annual recurring revenue. Is that good or is that bad? Well, for that company it was horrible because the company was operating in billions. To, to them, that that startup, that venture, didn't mean anything. While on the other hand, if if you take some startup in whatever economy, uh, to them this would be like, wow! They would be in newspapers, they would be celebrated, their their founders would be doing uh, talks on the stages, etc. So it's very very important to take the perspective of the organization to understand. Okay, is this worth investing in? Is this the uh, diminishing returns, etc. Another part of that is, and this is more large enterprise issue challenge than small enterprise or small business. And that is, in a large company, we have two types of growth. I call something like uh, capital G and minor G growth. So minor G growth is what everybody in organization should be doing. It's all the small things, you know, tweaking product descriptions, tweaking sales processes, uh, tweaking branding propositions. I'm not talking about changing, you know, uh, value of the whole company, but those small things that accumulate. While on the other hand, the leadership is in charge and accountable for the capital G growth. And those are the big decisions like, do we enter into a new market? Do we introduce a new product line? Do we restructure our product portfolio? Do we restructure our brand offers? So those two must be aligned. Leaders usually become frustrated with their employees. Like, oh, they're bringing all these ideas that are irrelevant. Well, guess what? It's your fault, not your employees' fault. You are not providing sufficient boundaries, sufficient explanation of what the company is trying to accomplish. And the people are coming up with ideas. And this is almost like a flywheel of failure because people start getting punished because, you know, they bring forward ideas. and every idea has ego in it. It's impossible otherwise. Human race is very creative. Every human, every listener that's listening to this episode is creative. Like, there might be differences in how creative we are because we are all individuals, but everybody is capable of creativity. And when we apply creativity, we put part of ourselves into whatever idea proposal, and when it gets rejected, without sufficient explanation or just punishment or something like that, then we would withhold our ideas. And the organization basically sabotages itself. That's how we got Zoom, for example. Zoom did not start out of thin air. It was an idea within Webex. It was shut down again and again and again. So the gentleman left and <laughs> sat his own company. And it went very well for him. And he's not a sole case. So we have, for business growth, we have responsibility on all parts of the organization, and the job are different. Sometimes people call that uh, working on the business, working in the business. So capital G growth would be working on the business, minor G growth, working in the business. And then balancing that is, is
0: art as much as science. I mean, I think you should write a book about this. <laughs> um, but no, you get you upon us a few things of um, especially the the rejection in the sense of, I think the rejection is is how leadership and sometimes think about it. it's very linear. And sometimes workers or people who are doing, you are working in the business, they're understanding the execution of how to get to the next level, but they haven't been privy into the conversations that have been over the years, over the months, whatever that may be to get insights of how leadership is seeing things. It's all about perspective. And I think the hard part about businesses is trying to collect those perspectives of everyone, not just from leadership, but all the way down. Um, and you hit upon something else too, where I love the flywheel of failure. <laughs> I think that might be the title of this episode, but you hit upon something too, where um, we get to cyclical patterns. Like we automatically do things, like it might've automatically worked for a previous business, but now, you know, it might not work for this business. And I've noticed this even in sa- the sales realm where they attack things with headcount capacity or they attack things with trying to move all the accounts at the same level. And they're not, you know, and this is not all sales, but this is like trying to pinpoint what sales move and going deep like vertical SaaS model versus horizontal SaaS model. That's why a lot of these people are kind of rolling this stuff up and it's not new. It's just a terminology to kind of reposition Um, and articulate a a stance on something. So we've kind of been talking about leadership um, and you kind of dove a little bit deeper, but, you know, how do do you help leaders find growth opportunities in plain sight? And how do you facilitate Mm. customer experiences for your customers? How do you help your leaders, help your workers, help your customers? Mm. I think that's going to be like, that's the ultimate decision is like, okay, we've classified things and then like, okay, we've, we've, Figure out a possible solution, but what is like, and we're figuring out problems, but what is actual, what are we actually solving? What are the problems that you're actually solving?
1: Mm -hmm. So I've been, I've been reflecting, uh, actually this week, I've been reflecting kind of, okay, if I look at the work I do and people like I do, what's, what's our basic unit of work? It's not analysis. It's, it's not slide decks. Thank God. It is dialogue. So my basic unit of work is dialogue. I, I engage in critical dialogue at different levels. So I do not come into a company to develop their strategy for them, to develop their brand for them, to develop their products for them. I came, I come to help them develop it. And this conversation between you and I is a good example as well. Uh, ju- just to share one example, uh, we discussed uh, just moments ago, uh, declining uh, big G, small G, et cetera. I cannot say how many times I go, work with top management, and then I ask them a question like, what you just shared with me, how you explained your business to me, how you explained what you want to achieve this year, next year, and three years. If I go now uh, into that corridor and just talk random employee and ask them, would they give me similar answers to you? And 100% of the cases, I get very confident, yes. And... I do not try to prove them wrong by immediately storming out. But since I'm helping the organization, I talk to other employees and I start asking them questions and they never give me the same answer. So the dialogue, the alignment here is critical because without that, it's so difficult to direct work and effort. When we go from the organizational perspective and we ask what is there the basic unit of work, teams, if you're if talking about medium-sized enterprises and larger, we are really talking about teams. SMEs can still go with groups. uh, And just briefly, what's the difference between group and a team? Group is a bunch of individuals working together. A team are individuals working for one specific objective with one specific reward. So it's it's a small but important difference. It's not worse or bad, but just, just difference. So to us, people like me, it's important to be able to help the teams realize where do they see things differently so that we could align and really deliver what needs to be delivered i know this is very abstract but every project is different you know i cannot say that i do exactly the same thing for a defense contractor as i do for entertainment company as i do for oil and gas company it's always different but what brings them all together is there needs to be dialogue and there's always, absolutely always mismatch of what people at different levels of organizations think, what they say, and what is understood. Because communication is so, so difficult. I mean, it's not just the language barrier, but how we express ourselves. We have people with uh, different ontologies or beliefs, what is real in the world. So what they hear, you said one thing. You meant one thing. They heard another thing, and they uh, realized another thing. It's not bad. It's just we have to be aware of that, so we can account for that, so we can address for that. That
0: is no. I'll I'll stop here. I I, I could go. I could get further. I'll stop. I'll stop. It's, I mean, it comes down to like how like as we as you know Homo sapiens or Homo sapiens sapiens like that's how we flourished. Versus there was other sapien, um, different like Neanderthals and other ones where there's like ones that were like our like like us but also three foot ha- tall like it was interesting how what we kind of built out out of mesopotamia and different things we went from cultures of 150 people to building mesopotamia because we were able to communicate we were able to um figure out you know and then that's where you get the rub of wars or different things like that and different beliefs as things spread out but no that that brings into a good, um, you hit upon something with between groups and teams where there's interesting things within, you know, bigger companies where they try to get everybody grouped together to to accomplish a task, but then nothing is like a system, like who's the system focus in this or who's the team leader. And that's why you see like in the police or military or things like that, they have like uh, task forces and different things like that to bring a team outside and bring an actual team versus a group of people to build the focus. And you, and you said it like specific objective reward, like that helps build alignment. And then I, that's the biggest thing is everything that you walk into a company is like, okay, what's the alignment from top down, from bottom up? Like, are we all moving in the similar direction? Are, are there all their objectives and other things being pulling us in different ways? And that's where we can get diminishing returns. And that's where we can get, that's where the rub is like it, it pulls, but, like you're, you're like you're we're saying similar like we're saying similar things we're saying it in our own way but we're hitting upon like we're agreement on and that's I think the big thing in dialogue is the alignment builds agreement on things of understanding where you're coming from so enough grilling questions but what is like do you have a story to kind of like share in the sense of you know how this kind of like an actual actionable insight of you know when you helped the customer and they were like oh my gosh, this is what happened and what was the result from it?
1: Okay. Uh, just just uh, purifying a little bit and the ace and everything. So I usually get called in when it's already difficult. It's not a burning platform, thank God, but it it is challenging. Like, there is a specific market already selected. Uh, there are people already uh, chosen to deliver on some ambition or something, the budget is usually almost spent. And the question is, we haven't managed to succeed in what we set out to do. What what do we do next? And I, I always go back to, to number one. When we talk about innovative ideas, we really have to be extremely clear, like who is this for and what does it do for them? And those are such two... Trivial questions. I, I I almost feel like a, like a fraud when I ask and help my clients answer that questions because they they sound so logical. They they sound so so common sense, and they're so often clearly answered. And and just was it yesterday or the week ago, I was working with another client answering the very same questions. Extremely successful client. Extremely smart people. I mean, these are accomplished people. This has nothing to do with intelligence. It has a lot to do with with hubris, be the right word. You're so successful, you assume that what you do next is also going to be a smashing success, but it doesn't have to do with your past successes. It has to do with, you know, what are you going to deliver for your customers? If you misjudge how are they actually using your products and services, then what you create is probably going to miss the mark. Regardless if you're Microsoft, Amazon, Google, or just some guy who is working from his, his garage. And that is something I love helping people with. And it comes from personally failing few times. So what you mentioned in my introduction, the, the regulation defined freight train. Uh, I was part of an engineering team. We were a bunch of young engineers. Uh, we got a client who came to us and asked for something that was physically impossible. They, they believed that what they're asking from us is impossible to make. And we took that personally. We spent months, you know, figuring it out, making prototypes, destroying them in the manufacturing hall, and we made it. And the customer didn't believe us. And we couldn't sell it for two years. And to me, that was, you know, when the penny dropped, it was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, we made the best technical solution in the world, and people don't want to buy. And then it it opened the doors for me. Like, innovation isn't just about technical solution. Innovation is about how also people talk about products, services, how they understand them. If they believe it's impossible, then it's my job to find ways to present a story or brand or whatever in such a way that they believe it's plausible. So innovation isn't just about technical solutions. And therefore, my work today isn't
0: just about technical solutions anymore. I like that. No, it it hit upon something even just even a previous guest mentioned something about his product and they were going through the technical versus not everybody is as technical like the aggregate of people you have to convince the aggregate of people in order to scale a company or if you have to dial deeper to to articulate to match what you're doing product service whatever that is to what it resonates with them so that is very very applicable today where instead of like burning and churning or pumping and dumping or whatever or just like spraying and praying like those are all the the old techniques that have been going on because we were much like tech was new you know it was affluence of money things being but now we're kind of past the initial like stage curve and it's trying to get the rest of the people involved or other industries involved too because other industries are behind and so you're right it's about perspective it's about how you pitch it it's about dialogue so so i'm i'm sure that um what you do for a living also reflects about who you are but this is the perfect segue into the about you section where, you know, what gets you up in the morning? What gets you passionate? What gets you motivated um, and committed to what you're doing in, in your work? And then as well as hobby and health, like what, what helps you recharge? Like, what are those kind of things that um, make you, you, like what makes Bruno Verna? So uh,
1: one of the benefits of also or not benefits, I guess uh, it all uh, culminated in me deciding to be independent and me as a brand is everything I do was what I always was doing. So, you know, my parents told me as a little kid, uh, I don't know, age five or four or something when it was time to get uh, tested for kindergarten, you know, I was drawing up robots and explaining the ladies there like, this is how a robot works, you know, and and I was always extremely curious, you know, I was that... uh, pesky little kid that was pulling you on on the arm and like why is it like this why is it like this no but explain me why how does this work Ah. and i would break stuff to to see how they work etc so to me there is no differentiation like personal bruno work bruno professional bruno it's all it's all one bruno i've always been a curious guy and i've had very good fortune that my parents uh supported that i had good fortune that a schooling system did not beat it out of me Uh, In addition to being curious, I've been uh, practicing martial arts since I was age six or something. And I find that uh, a separable part of myself. It's it's a big part of how I think, how I engage with people. Uh, Traditional martial arts are a great thing to to build up confidence, to build up respect. uh, Because in martial arts, you have a lot of respect or a lot of manners. Because if if we engage in consensual violence with each other, it's so important to understand the importance of of respect, of uh, dialogue, conversing with each other, but also understanding, um, oh my God, uh, words are failing me, understanding body language. So if you and I are sparring together, it's not just what you tell me, but I should be able to, to see with how your body responds if something is off, if something is wrong, because You and I in martial arts grow by pushing each other, but we do not grow if I hurt you or you hurt me. So then one of us cannot train for next half a year or a year or whatever. So all of this kind of, you know, I never felt the need to recharge. I wake up and I'm like, oh, you know, today I'm going to do this. Today I'm going to work on that problem. And I think it was, yeah, yesterday I just sent an SMS to, to a client of mine, they sent me like, how did it go? Was it difficult? And I wrote back, you know, that's the stuff I love. <laughs> like, like bring, bring more of that. Like, First, that's why you hired me. Second, that's what, that's what I love doing. So, you know, <laughs> let's, let's go, let's go. Uh, and that's, that's it. I, I like to say I enjoy small things and just live day, day to day and having really good time.
0: Bruno, I think that sums it up that you live life to the fullest for your clients, for yourself Um, and not taking things for granted. You have a very good way of articulating. And it is very like when you said, hey, let's take a pause. Like, let me purify like all, all the stuff that you mentioned to me and kind of siphon it to where you're like, okay, let me get back to you in a more like direct, simplified. This is what I'm interpreting. And so you've just kind of articulated your, your superpower throughout this whole episode where you have a good way of understanding complicated measures of uh, like enterprise. Like everybody's like, I want to sell to enterprise. I want to be an enterprise. There's a lot of money there, but it's like, also there's a lot of complexity and you're, you're, you're simplifying the complexity and you're helping people remove from cyclical patterns of the flywheel failure. And the, yeah, see, I, Throwing things that you've already like your little coin terms that I really like in the sense that you're you're understanding how to build things organically and then figuring out how what, what are the diminishing returns, but always staying true to innovation and innovation of what that means to you. So Bruno, thank you so much for being on this episode. Sean, thank you for having me. And to all the converged coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.